In May of this year, we had the pleasure of interviewing Ellie, a stage four thriver. After the launch of season two, we tried to contact Ellie, but our emails and Facebook messages went unanswered. We were both worried and felt like something wasn't right. In September of this year via Facebook, we found out she had passed away. Ellie created a program where she helped survivors rebuild and regain energy after treatment. Although the program is no longer active, we felt like it was important to share Ellie's story. She was an incredible, good-spirited woman. If you would like to make a donation in her honor, her family asked that donations be made to the Ottawa Hospital Breast Cancer Center or to the Red Cross to help the people of the Ukraine, which will be linked in the show notes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season two. This is Shauna. And this is Rosalina. And we're your hosts for Too Young for This Show podcast. This podcast is not just about boobs, but a journey with cancer. We are young millennials open about giving you our raw and unfiltered look into our lives. We are in no way medical professionals, nor are we offering medical advice. Any medical references are cited directly from public websites or from our personal diagnosis. Some topics and stories may be triggering to those who are fighting, have fought, or have loved someone with cancer. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. This is Rosalina. This is Shauna. Hi, guys. I'm really excited for today. Our guest today is Ellie Blackheart. She's a stage four breast cancer thriver. And on this episode, she'll share her cancer journey and the program she started for survivors. So hi, Ellie. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so happy you're here. Hello. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited. And um, Ellie, tell the listeners like a little bit about yourself. Like, where are you from? Sure. Yeah. So I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which is the capital of Canada. Uh, I am 41 years old. I'm an engineer. I work in the high-tech industry. Uh, I'm also, uh, just to give you a little bit more about myself, I'm a hands-on person um, and a very active person. So hobbies around the house or, or just hobbies in general are doing DIY around the house, gardening, landscaping. And then for physical activities, I'm really into rollerblading, cycling, playing beach volleyball, hiking nice. in the summer months. And then in the winter months, I'm into skating and skiing. So that that's it for me. I haven't me. rollerbladed in years. Now you make me want to go buy a pair. I know. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like during the pandemic, everyone bought rollerblades. <laughs> or a bike. Or a bike. Yes, it's true. <laughs> So, Ellie, you're a two-time breast cancer survivor, but first we want to know the time you discovered your lung. Like, can you give us like the how, when, and where, kind of like a little timeline on that? When I was 37, I found a lump in my armpit, in my right armpit, and I had it checked out, and that turned out to be a cyst based from an old sport injury, and that was fine. But then what my family doctor did, which was really remarkable, is he said, no, 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 you know, just to make sure I'm going to send you to get a mammogram, I'm going to send you to get checked, uh, because it was so close to my breast, and and so close to the lymph nodes. So uh, he sent me to the breast health clinic. And there I met with a surgeon I did the mammogram, the mammogram showed just a little bit of calcification in the right breast. And um really nothing in the armpit and they confirmed that the the cyst or whatever I had in my armpit was benign. Um, however, though they were worried about the calcification spots and um, six months later, they called me back to do another mammogram 
And I did this mammogram and again, the calcification spots were there, but they had moved. And so they were very worried about that. All in all, what happened is it ended up being the tail end of a really large tumor. And that's how this whole thing started. It was just based off of a sport injury. And my tumor, which was, which I know now, but at the time didn't know, was four and a half centimeter by two and a half centimeter by three centimeters. And you, the breast surgeon couldn't even feel it. So that's really big for something you can't feel. Definitely. Yeah, that's very big. Yeah, yeah. that's huge. Wow. Yeah. So I was I, like, the whole thing was very shocking for me at the beginning because I went in, I'm being told I've got a sports injury and I come out with a huge breast cancer diagnosis. I was completely demoralized with the whole thing. And it, it took it, this was over many, many months. It wasn't just, you know, you go in and bing, bang, boom, it's all settled because it was mm-hmm. quite hidden. And I, I really remember because the mammogram wasn't showing well, because it was just showing the like bottom tail of the tumor. It wasn't until I did an ultrasound with a specialized doctor and she put the ultrasound over the tumor. And then suddenly I remember the screen of the, the ultrasound screen became like a blizzard of snow and the doctor got, became really quiet. I just, I think my, my jaw dropped. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm, there's a big problem right now. And then that's really how this whole event started. It was, yeah, it, it was very traumatizing to go through that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. remember that day. Sure. Yeah, it's beyond traumatizing. Right. I mean, good for your family doctor, though, to just say, hey, let's just check this just in case <laughs> if it's anything. And then it led to the breast cancer diagnosis months later. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, yeah, like just even out of the precaution just to send you and didn't dismiss it based off of age is amazing. 100% agree. It was, I would say, very, very lucky. There is no reason for him to have done that other than just wanting to be extra safe. Definitely. Since finding out you're diagnosed with breast cancer, can you tell us like the type of breast cancer you had and your surgery and what the treatment plan was for it? So I am hormone positive, meaning ER positive and PR positive. At first, the doctors thought they were catching it at an early stage because my cancer, like I just spoke, was kind of undetectable. But after my surgeries, it was revealed that it was actually stage 3B, which is quite advanced. And so we really caught it late, to be honest with you. And this is at the age of 38. So it was quite advanced for my age. What type of surgery did you have? So I had a lumpectomy with a sentinel node dissection at first. Mm -hmm. And when the biopsy came back for my sentinel node and for the um, cancer uh, bed, tumor bed, they realized that my cancer was a lot more than they had anticipated. All the nodes were filled with cancer. So they, they rushed me back for a second surgery for a right axilla node dissection. And those yeah. all came back, nine nodes out of nine came back, all full of cancer. And the scary bit is that before both those surgeries, I had an MRI and the MRI didn't reveal any cancer. The MRI actually showed that I was clean and I had no cancer. So I thought I was going in these surgeries as a unnecessary, almost like, okay, well, you're telling me I have no cancer. Why am I doing this? And turns out that all my lymph nodes had cancer and we're talking one centimeter size tumors and the MRI didn't pick it up. So I went from another huge shock. Actually, before surgery, I did three rounds of FEC chemo, the FEC chemo. 
And I thought that that had cleared everything because we had done the MRI and everything was clean. And then to be told, no, no, you're still full of cancer. You got to go back to chemo was hugely traumatizing. And then I was sent back. I did, I was supposed to do three rounds of docetaxel chemo after the surgeries, but I was only able to complete two rounds because my neuropathy became uh, too bad. And then after that, they sent me to uh, radiation and I did 25 rounds of radiation. It was planned to do 30, uh, but they had to, well, they stopped after 25 because of the location of my cancer. They, they decide, the doctors determined that there would be more damage to my body if they continued. So I, I stopped after 25 rounds. I had a similar situation with my MRI telling me, yeah, what lymph nodes weren't affected. And, you know, I went in thinking, oh, like, good, great. Like, thank God. And then, then, then came out and was told I had to have a second surgery. And that was almost worse some, than being told I had breast cancer. It was like a, I don't know, like a disappointment, like I've never felt before. And I was pissed. And I don't know if you felt the same, but I was it, like very caught off guard by that. Absolutely. That's, it's hugely caught off guard. You go into the mode of I'm recovering. I've beat it. I, you know, you're into a different mindset and you're brought back to a hugely traumatizing knowledge of you're actually not okay. You're really not okay. My family doctor said it the best. He said it to me. It's the same as if your finish line keeps moving farther and farther away from you. So every time you think you're reaching the finish line, you're actually not there. And it's way, way, way over there. And it's very demoralizing mentally. And the more mentally drained you are, the worse it is or the harder it is for your body to recover. That phrase that he just said to you, it's so accurate. So accurate. Like I feel that a lot of women out there who have been diagnosed with breast cancer can totally relate because I, I would say I felt that way too. Kind of like love that term. And even though it's like not obviously something like you want to experience, but to have like a name for that, like have, you know, kind of that visual depiction of like, yeah, that it is, it is, it is like almost like demoralizing in a way. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. You just spoke obviously about being caught off guard by that. And then obviously having to go back and, you know, do more chemo after you thought you were finished. Like, like what was the lowest point of your cancer diagnosis? I, I think there were a few, the journey's been long. So I'm going to say the two that I've already spoken about was one was the one where I saw the blizzard of snow on like what looked like a blizzard of snow on the ultrasound screen. That was hugely demoralizing. That was really putting reality in my face. Like, no, no, you've got a really big problem right now. The second one was being told you're, you know, within weeks, you're cancer free to no, actually stage three B like that's hugely uh, demoralizing. And then the, the third one that I would say would be when my cancer came back. That was also a really bad blow. Um, so those three things have been really difficult to, to manage. So, you know, you had said, you know, your cancer did end up coming back. How long between your 25 rounds of radiation to like, how long was it between that and finding out that your cancer had returned? It was just over a year. I'm going to say 13 or 14 okay. months. And how did you discover that it did return? I had a swollen lymph node under my left armpit, which was the other side this time. And, and after going through everything I'd gone through on the right side, I just knew right away it was a lymph node and it was swollen. And I didn't know anything more other than to 
report it to my medical team. Did you like, just like, I know that this is back or were you really optimistic that this, <laughs> um, like, you know, like, I don't know. I feel like some of us know our bodies. No, I'm laughing because I, I get you. We know our bodies. Like I knew right away it was a swollen lymph nodes, but yeah. I was praying so hard that it wasn't cancer. It was just, I was really trying to be optimistic. No, it's just, whatever. It's just a swollen lymph node, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. And, mm -hmm. but I also at the mm -hmm. same time being very realistic said to myself, I've got to get this checked out. It's better to know than not know and, you know, have cancer come back and not be in control right. or not um, have meds or anything like that. Because at that time I was off all medication. Right. Yeah. And so if, if cancer was coming back, then I needed a game plan. So the realistic side of me right. is like, get, get so your I game plan going, know what's going on. And then the optimistic side was, no, no, everything's fine. You talked about that you weren't taking any medication after radiation. Was that because your doctor didn't want you on any meds? You chose not to? Yeah. So after the radiation, I was put on tamoxifen and they wanted me to continue Zolidex. Yeah. Unfortunately for me, after all yeah. the I'm say trauma that had happened throughout that year, I was completely demoralized. I was mentally broken, emotionally broken. I was crying all the time. I just had no quality of life. Yeah, and it, there was a decision to start taking me off of these because all that was happening was I was in bed crying every single day, and and there there was no quality of life. So after a few months, uh, there was a decision to take me off because. I wasn't a functioning yeah. human being. Shauna, that sounds so similar to you. I'm literally, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I'm listening to this and I'm like, post-cancer has not been easy for me and just crying all the time and just feeling like there is no quality of life. And what did I do this for? I mean, I, 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 I understand completely. Like it breaks my heart to like, you know, other people have experienced this or going like feel this after too. I just, I get like emotional thinking about it, you know? Yeah. It, it's extremely but, tough. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just after everything, it's just like, why? Like, why is this still so hard? You know, why are we still experiencing all of this? And it's just like not fair. It's so unfair. Yeah. Because for me, I went from being a really active, hands-on person, really out there, like outdoorsy person to being bedridden. And I've never sat in my bed so long that like my bum was sore. Like I've never had that in my life. It's just... And, and you're crying all the time. You can't go to the store without just bursting out in tears. And you can't go to the store without, you know, just feeling horrible. Like it's just, so you just stay in bed demoralized. Yeah. When you said a, just like a broken person, like that's how I've, I've said that about myself in the last probably five, six months. Like I just feel like I'm such a broken person and it's, like, then you have to get out of it. Yep. Like having to try to get your life back and try to get out of that. And, and now, you, you know, you, you didn't have a quality of life and now you find out your cancer has returned and metastasized. Like what was going through your mind? So there were two things going through my mind. The first one is because of my engineering background and my knowledge of statistics, when my dad, my doctors initially told me that, you know, everything was done, I was cured. I didn't really believe them because all the nodes came that were removed were filled with cancer. So that's nine out of nine. So the chances of another node in my body having cancer to me were extremely high. I, I, I didn't, from a realistic point of view, I didn't believe the doctors because mathematically it didn't make sense. From an optimistic point of view, I said, mm -hmm. okay, they tell me I'm clean. I'm going to live my life. Like I have no cancer. I'm not going to let 
cancer defined me. Um, so when the cancer came back, it was just, it was, it like, it was, it sucked. Like it just really sucked. It was hugely disappointing because I thought I was doing the right things. But at the same time, I had already kind of pep talked myself months ago or told myself months ago that the reality, statistically speaking, is that there are high chances that I am actually stage four, not stage three B, like they're saying. It, it, it's such a fine line, right? It's like a, it's a hair away from and. Yeah. And the MRI wasn't good at picking up my cancer to begin with. So the chances of it being elsewhere were extremely high. So I was kind of prepared, but it Mm -hmm. sucked. Like there's no tomorrow. Like that's the last thing you want to hear, especially just 13 or 14 months after. I was just finally starting to feel better. I was finally starting to be able to feel alive and get out of bed and have energy and being able to do stuff. And then it's like, okay. Here we go again. But I'll just tell you my cancer journey since I found the lymph node, uh, the swollen lymph node. So when when I found the swollen lymph node in my left armpit, uh, I was really lucky when I went to get the ultrasound, the doctor decided to biopsy it right away. There was a two or three months wait time for Mm -hmm. that biopsy. But because I had a background with cancer, the doctor didn't take a chance. And I knew right away, which was actually extremely lucky because once cancer came back, it came back really aggressively and really quickly. Within months, I had Mm. cancer in my bones, I had cancer in my liver, I had cancer in my lungs, I was having trouble speaking and breathing at the same time. It was where else it was it went in my eyes. Uh, There was my right eye was starting to see gray, like it was really bad. And that was within two months, it was super quick. And so I'm thrilled that because of this biopsy that was done, I think two or three months earlier than it should have been, I got thrown into the medical system to get the ball going on, okay, what tests need to happen now to see what's going on. And every time every month I went to get a new test, it was always getting worse and worse and worse, because it went from just a lymph node, to lungs being full to bones being fractured to now it's in your liver, now it's in your eyes. Uh, then it went in my shoulders and went in my hips. And so luckily, I got all these tests done and I was able to get onto these medication because again, through all these tests, I wasn't on any medication. And then finally, after all the tests were done, I was able to get on the this cocktail of medication. And it's called endocrine therapy for me, meaning very strong estrogen blocking drugs. That's really what it is. So it's a cocktail of palbocyclib, which is also known as Ibrantz, fulvestrant, and Zolodex. And you didn't tolerate the tamoxifen well. So how are you tolerating this cocktail now? I'm doing it really well, actually, tolerating it. Surprisingly, I'm surprising myself. I'm surprising the doctors. And I'm going to say that that's because I have changed my lifestyle. And I do daily mental, emotional, and physical activities. I really integrated into my life a way to feel better and as a side effect of that, the meds aren't doing much. I still have chemo brain. I still have a low white blood cell counts. But other than that, I don't have all these other major side effects that people have. Like I don't have, I don't know, I don't have mouth sores. I don't have skin rash. I don't have, there's a list and list. My hair is not thinning. I, there's a list of side effects that I'm not getting. And I really attribute it to living a healthy lifestyle and helping my immune system be strong. And so since then, so it's been about six months. Mm-hmm. Since then, 
that in combination, I'm going to say with a healthy lifestyle. So I'm not going out and eating junk food. I have a really strict um, way that I eat. I have supplements that I take. So it's, it's, it's a full body, mind and soul approach. It's not just drugs, but the drugs have helped within six months. I went from all this cancer in my body to really not being functional again, to now being now having undetected cancer with the, with the imaging. I still believe though, that there's probably some cancer inside of me for some time that it's just not detectable. As long as I'm in control right now, or as long as I, with this cocktail and with what I'm doing, my immune system stays stronger than the cancer, then I'm happy. That's how I see it. As long as cancer hasn't taken over, I'm happy. You said you do a strict diet. What is the diet? If you want to give us like a general. Yeah, the diet is a low carb, low sugar diet. And if I eat animal products, I eat organic and uh, lots of fish, lots of shrimp. And uh, keeping the carbs low has been really helpful. So that seems to be an approach that's working for me right now. So I'm going to keep doing what's working right now. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask this. I'm like just so curious about like universal healthcare. Like it's, I just don't understand how it works. I feel like all (laughs) Americans like wondering about that. (laughs) You know, obviously it wasn't easy to, you know, three months is a, is a long time to, to wait for a biopsy. I mean, especially based off of like how, you know, quickly from you go from like a sonogram to mammogram to a biopsy. I mean, mine was in less than a week. I don't know how, how long, how long was yours? Yeah. Mine was just a week basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it easy to like book appointments with specialists or is it not like, how does this work? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just want to say that two to three months uh, wait for biopsy. That was because of COVID because too many women were coming in with swollen lymph nodes because it was also the time that the vaccine had started coming out and lots of people were getting swollen lymph nodes because of the vaccine. So there was a larger amount of people to be tested. That's why typically before then, uh, before COVID, it was a, it was about two, three weeks wait time, which is, I think, very appropriate. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I was kind of lucky in that situation because the, uh, the doctor knew that the wait time was, was ridiculous if it was cancer. So that's why she, she kind of did it right away. Um, so, okay. <laughs> Universal healthcare. So the way it works is once you're diagnosed, you're essentially kind of put in the system. It's not that you have to go out and book appointments. It's not that you get to pick a physician, pick a specialist, you get put in the system and you get called instead. You get told where to go, when to go, who you're seeing. It's it's a very well-organized system from, uh, I'm going to say, a cancer point of view. I was very impressed by it, to be honest with you. I always hear about lots of wait times and everything like that. I did not wait with cancer. Um, I think if, if you're in a life or death situation, the hospitals here in Canada work extremely well. If you are in a situation where you just kind of hurt yourself, then yes, there are lots of delays. But if you're in a life or death situation, I had no wait, really. Um, Within a week, I had an appointment to get imaging. Within another week, I I had an appointment with my specialist. And and the system, basically, it's all online. And it tells you where to go, when to go, who you're seeing. It's really simple. The only flip side to that is it's very regimented because of the process. So if I want to go see my specialist another time, I can't. 
you have designated times to see the specialist. You can see like for chemo, for example, my oncologist, I can only see him every second chemo. I couldn't see him after every chemo. That's because those are the rules. And the government's paying, so they get to set the rules. Wow. Interesting. And do you have to see like a primary care physician to be able to see specialists? Like, do you need referrals? Or can I, you just say like, I want to see like a gastroenterologist or you know, I want to see this doctor. Like you could just book it. You need a referral. You need to go to your family referral. doctor first and the, okay. and then the family doctor will refer. But you can, okay. you can request for some stuff you can, for some procedures you can request to your family doctor i'd like to see this specialist you can do that once for the i'm gonna say for the cancer setup uh or the cancer clinics there is no picking specialist you just put in the system and whoever can take you takes you okay got it yeah i mean that's like similar to i mean by having to need a referral that's like similar to america i mean based off of your insurance like you know some insurance you do need referrals to go see specialists like I don't have that in my insurance. So like if I, you know, I'm having stomach issues, I can just book an appointment with okay. like my gastro, with a gastro doctor. Like I don't need that referral, but some health insurance, I don't know if Rosalina's is, but you need that referral in order to see yep. certain specialists. So that's like the similar. Now, I know you said with, you yep. know, with COVID, obviously it backed up a lot of stuff. Like did it back up all doctor's appointments? In New York, we got hit so hard by COVID. Like it was terrible. It didn't, people weren't leaving their homes. And I think people are still scared and like are now finally just feeling comfortable to like go see their doctors and get like, you know, their yearly colonoscopy and things like that. And, and so between that and then the lack of like workers now in hospitals, like a lot of people, COVID, especially in New York, made people like leave their jobs. Like, did you find it? It's even harder now. Like everything's backed up even more. So I've heard that our system is backed up because of COVID for the cancer yeah. center. I mean, I've not really seen any issues. The nurses right. are still there. Uh, the doctors are still there. If Yeah. From the cancer center point of view, I, it's not really, COVID has not really affected the system for other systems. Mm -hmm. Yes. COVID has definitely affected it. Uh, the only right, like imaging and um, like procedures and things like that, probably. Right. Yeah, the only thing that's really been affected for me is my reconstruction surgery. I've now been waiting two years. And the reason for that is because during COVID, uh, during high peaks of COVID in our province, the province shut down all non-essential um, medical needs. So plastic surgery was not considered essential an essential service and it was shut down. So the doctors could not operate even if they wanted to. They were not allowed. Are you comfortable talking about what type of reconstruction that you are going? To, are you planning in the future? The reconstruction I'm planning on getting is uh, fat grafting in addition with uh, implants. Yeah. And I'm going to be going with over the muscle instead of under the muscle. Unfortunately, that's a two operation approach yeah. versus a one operation approach because you can't do the fat graft and put the implant over the muscle at the same time, because there's too much uh, risk of damaging the implant with the fat grafting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. However, I've picked that just because I, I am a very active person. I use my arms a lot. I'm always, especially with the gardening, I'm always lifting heavy stuff and I need my muscles to be physiologically yes. in the right place. Um, not under, no, sorry, not over an implant. Yeah. I want the implant to be over the muscle. 
Yeah, I felt the same way too. I I didn't because I'm super active as well. I didn't <laughs> want the implant to be under the muscle because I just hear like weird things happening where it's just like it like goes to the side when like you're lifting or you know doing yoga. It's <laughs> it kind of like freaks me out just like hearing about that. No, but. I wish I don't. I don't have the option because of the amount of skin I have. Yeah. So unfortunately, I have to go under, but um, I have to make do. But yeah, I wish I wish I was able to have that choice and make that choice. So, so I've only been educating myself about under the muscle implants and what that means and things like that. But I wish I wish I had the uh, the option to pick. <laughs> I agree with you, and I want to say for all mm-hmm. the women out there that educate yourself on on this because my doctor didn't give me the option at first he just went away and went right away to we're putting it under, under the muscle this and that and this and that and then it was only it's actually because of covid there's been such a delay i've actually had time to research i'm like oh wait a second what's this over the muscle and then i i ended up talking to my doctor about it. it's like oh yeah you can do that i'm like well, why wasn't this offered <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is a better yeah. solution for me and it wasn't offered yeah exactly like my plastic surgeon said Oh, I recommend under the muscle. I'm like, mm, I kind of want to do over the muscle. <laughs> I want to do that choice, <laughs> not under the muscle. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Ellie. Like she didn't even tell me about over the muscle. I'm not sure why they do that, but that could be another conversation. <laughs> Is there a timeline for when they'll be able to start doing those procedures again? No timeline. They are so backlogged. They cannot give me a timeline. They're still not doing them or they've started. There's just now such a backlog. They've started. There's just so much of a backlog that they can't. Uh, yeah. exactly. So they started about two months ago. At the same time, they're also ramping up doing these, right? So they had, nobody was in the op- these operating rooms for this. So they have to set things back up and anyways, it's just taking right. a long time and getting the staff to come back. And so I have a question about second opinion where you, able to have that option to see another surgeon um, if you're not happy with the current one that you have or like your oncologist? Yes, we have that option here. Okay. And typically, again, it's through referrals to get a second opinion. And I have a friend who wasn't happy with her oncologist here and she asked for another oncologist and she was able to get another oncologist. So they're very open to basically giving you the care that you need and the best care that you need. So from that point of view, I like, I'm very impressed with the healthcare I've received here in Ottawa. Do they also have like a program for cancer patients of like, you can like see a therapist, a program like with support groups. I'm just curious if Canada gives you that option. Yes. So depending on what it is so cancer yes they they will provide a social worker that you can go see if you request it and if you sign up for it and it it depends some programs outside of cancer will have a social worker some don't it really depends on the program and what the government's decided has this available or not if not i have insurance through work and i can get it through my regular insurance it's still nice that or they give you that option in canada Absolutely. Absolutely. It's wonderful. Not having to deal with insurance is wonderful. Like just being able to go and it's free and you don't need to sign here, sign there, send paperwork. There's none of that. You just show up and it's really wonderful because you're at the time where you're at your lowest, your brain's not functioning well. You're in a state of trauma. That's why you're going. 
And so you're not yeah. thinking clearly. So not having to have all this extra stuff to do with insurance is really wonderful, actually. It must be yeah. so nice, too, to not have to basing your care off what you can afford. You know, there's so many people that are like, I can't afford the imaging. I can't afford this. And then, you know, their health ultimately pays the price of that. And it, that must be so nice to not even just like have to have that be one of your first thoughts. Like, how am I even going to afford to to have cancer? Basically, cancer is expensive here in America. Oh yeah, and mm, yeah, uh, chemo is super expensive. I I know that. I think every chemo here was valued at ten thousand dollars, and I just get to walk in. I little, oh yeah, I wave my little health card, and I get to walk in, sit down. And, you know, I just have to repeat my date of birth and my name and they put it in the system and I'm done. Like this, it's wonderful. From that point of view, I find myself extremely lucky to not have all those extra bills to think of. I don't have this financial burden over my head of can I afford, can I not afford? I just go to the hospital and it's all taking care of me and the system's taking care of me. It's, it's very wonderful. It's regimented though, and it's got its flip side, but it's, I'm going to say it's more wonderful than, than bad. I have a question just um, with your friends and family while you were diagnosed with cancer or even when your cancer has come back. Did you have any support from your friends and family? I had lots of support. Everybody's okay. very positive. Everybody's wanting was wanting yeah. to help me in whatever way that they could. I found it hard right. to say what I needed. Because when uh, the first time around, you, I didn't know what I needed. So it was a bit tricky because people want to help, but you don't know how to let them help you. You don't know what you need. So that was the um, yeah. only thing, but the, they were there to help me. And there's only a certain amount that they can help you emotionally because they don't know what you're going through. So that's the other hard, pit, uh, hard yeah. bit. Sorry. And so I would recommend a social worker definitely in the cancer program or that knows about cancer because it Friends and family, it's too much for friends and family, I found. I, I had to go talk to other people, even though they were there and they were very supportive. Oh, that's wonderful. That's like that's like the best thing that you can even have <laughs> apart from everything that was happening. It's so true when you said, like, you don't even know what you need in that moment. And, yeah. um, like, I know I needed to feel like I was in control. Like, I needed to feel like I... And Same. did you feel that? Did you feel that way? Like you were like, I am just like going to take the reins and. Yes. Yeah. So a few times I tried to quit chemo and because <laughs> it was just so hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. And my family mm -hmm. members were there to say, no, 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 come back <laughs> and really supporting me on going back. <laughs> yeah. It's hard because you're like, I'm willing to go poison myself. This is mentally not okay. But anyways, it was good that they were there to help me come back. And the same thing for radiation after I think round 10, I, I quit. I was leaving. I was just, I'm done. Like, this isn't enough. This is insane. Um, but then they were there to say, no, no, <laughs> the doctors are recommending this for a good reason. <laughs> you need to go back. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they would never understand like how you felt in that moment no no they don't understand because they're not going through it the best they can do is listen to the doctors and they unfortunately I think unless you go through it you don't understand you really don't understand and that's the hard bit and I find that that's really hard with your partner or significant other or whatnot is you're in this new life and it's really hard to convey how you're feeling, how what's going on with you, because it's so extreme. 
and they're trying to support you in the best way that they know how, but they're not going through it. So you're, it's a bit of a fork in the road because you're going through this new life process and they're not, and it's actually quite hard. All right. Let's talk about the program now. Um, So since being diagnosed with breast cancer, you created this great resource for women who has, who have undergone cancer treatments and now looking to re-energize and rebuild their bodies and mind. And can you tell the listeners how you started your program and why you felt like there was a need for it? Absolutely. So after the first round of treatments, after I'd done the chemo, the surgery, the radiation, I really felt broken, weak, fragile, traumatized, and scared. And then I read that this was really typical and normal. And and so I just went home and waited for time to heal like the doctors had recommended. But instead, I was getting worse and worse and worse and more depressed. And my quality of life was getting worse. And there was no quality of life, really. And so I started investigating and well, how how do I change this? Like, this is not okay. I'm this is not my new normal. I'm going to be better than this. This is not acceptable. So I started doing lots of researching, lots, lots of reading. And then I started applying things and trying different techniques on myself. Until a few months later, I'd figured out this routine for myself. And I really felt alive again and it was bringing back my energy and I didn't feel alone or ashamed anymore. I didn't feel broken anymore. I stopped crying randomly and most of my treatment side effects were gone. And I felt like, wow, finally, like I'm super thrilled to be alive. My quality of life is back. And that's how this whole program started is what I created for myself, which was Basically, daily stretches, deep breathing, some specific uh, body strengthening, some dancing, some flexibility, and some mind and soul modalities to really address all the emotional trauma. And it would only take me about 45 minutes a day to do it. And and I decided, I've got to share this. I can't just keep this to myself. This was so helpful to me. I've got to put this out there. I also searched for something like this when I was like before creating it for myself when I was not having when I my quality of life was so poor I couldn't find anything so I thought well this is a real need out here because I can't find it and it's not just go do some meditation or just go do some yoga or just go dancing it's really a full body mind approach I couldn't find that and that's really after you've gone through cancer treatment all three have been completely damaged. And and that's why I feel the word broken is so valid is because everything is broken. Your your physical has been destroyed. Your mental has been destroyed, especially with the chemo fog, brain fog, and then your emotional self with all the trauma. It's, it's, it's a lot. So to me, having this entire self healing approach was really helpful to me. And then I, I started sharing it with some people and it was helping with people, sorry, with other women that had undergone breast cancer and it was really helping them too. And I thought, oh my gosh, like this is, this is really helping people. So let's, let's share it. And th- this is how it started. It was very organic. It just really started with just trying to help myself. How long did it take you to find this combination of things that help? Like, was there a lot of trial and error? Were you finding some things worked and then didn't work? 
Yeah, it took it took about five or six months to get it down. And I tried so many modalities. I tried, um, I also tried different experts. So for the same modality, I tried many experts. And some experts I thought didn't work for me at all. And then other experts, it really hit home, worked for me. I found that doing lots of very beginner yoga was really good to re-elasticize the muscles. Like I find that the chemo and the radiation really tightens and just tenses us up completely. And we just, it's almost like going back to basics and doing very beginner moves. And, and that's what it's all about. It's all about finding experts that can do or that do very beginner moves. And that was hard to find at first. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it is really difficult, especially when you have gone through all this treatment and your body just went through so much. You're like, my body can't do <laughs> like very intense workout or like a yoga class. It's, it's really difficult to find just for beginner based. Yeah. Or that are tailored to like mastectomy patients. I had a hard time finding, you know, like a post mastectomy, like stretch or post mastectomy friendly workout, I guess. And you know, it's just, that's not like, you're right. It, there, there is not a ton of resources when it comes to that. And I agree with you. And that's really well said. It's tailored to what we've gone through and our body's got to start back from scratch. All right. So just to wrap this up, we ask our guests just a fun mystery question that's not cancer related. So Ellie, if someone was to visit Ottawa for the first time, what are just the top five things that you would recommend people doing, seeing, eating, um, just all around? Yeah, that's a lovely question. And so Ottawa is not that big of a city. Um, it's more of a government city. So this is where we have federal, uh, provincial and municipal. We have the three levels of government here. So there's the parliament, which is the, I guess would be the White House for you guys. There's the parliament here. I would recommend visiting that in the downtown core. That's very nice. We also have many beaches here in Ottawa. So if you're coming in the summertime, I would highly recommend our beaches. We have what's called a green belt in Ottawa. So there's a, around the city, they've, the government has blocked off areas where it's only for wilderness and it's only for, you can't build anything there. It's really for nature. And so we've got this, what's called a green belt. There's lots of trails in the green belt that you can go hiking in. There's also across the river, it's called nice. the Gatineau Park. And you can go hiking mm -hmm. there. It's really lovely there. Summertime is a good time to come for festivals and that kind of stuff. If you want to come in the wintertime, in the wintertime, we have a canal. So that they, they lower the water and they allow it to freeze and they... It's the longest skating rink in the world. So you can go skating there and it's really wonderful. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And we just, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on and doing this with us. Well, thank you for doing what you do. And please keep doing what you're doing. We, we need more of what you're doing. It's amazing. And thank you so much. Thank you all for listening and supporting our podcast. Sharing our stories with you has been incredibly healing for both of us, and we hope it helps other women in their journeys through breast cancer. Ladies, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and fellow breasties. 
Help us reach more women by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram at TYFTS Podcast and email us at TYFTS Podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys, so shoot us a message. We will link any resources from the episode in our show notes. 